It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. My name's Owen Ely. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You also can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. Be sure to check out our website at northstarsports.media. And welcome into the show, everybody. We got a good one for you today as we recap UFC Fight Night Blades versus Volkov, which took place on Saturday, June 20th at the UFC Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada. And what an average fight card it was. I mean, I, I, I'm going to come on here and, you know, I was going to say, you know, what a great fight card, but, uh, you know, just kind of the, the run of the mill. Uh, in between Fight Island and, and UFC 249-250 uh, style fight card. Not exactly the most uh, stacked one ever ever put on, but uh, some, some pretty solid fights. Uh, some of them uh, not so much, not so much, but um, always good to have uh, fights going on, especially in uh, times like these. Obviously, we always mention it every show, but the pandemic and even nice to have shows going on in the future, even when there is baseball back, which uh, is big news that we will not talk about here at North Star Sports because baseball is awful. Um, and just kind of a you know average fight card, but an, a, a run of the mill night for predictions for North Star Sports. We were uh, six and six, so uh, absolutely uh, dead average. Um, I will say though, when it did matter, North Star Sports delivered. That's a fact. We got five of the six fights on the main card correct. Excuse me, I believe there was six. Actually, no, four of the five. Four of the five on the main card, excuse me. Uh, so we got most of the main card correct, and then the, the prelims, ah, it was very cold, very cold for North Star Sports. But you don't you don't make your money on the prelims. You don't make your money on the prelims. You make it on the main card. You make, you make it when it really matters. So, um... I think we were something at uh, like a nice, nice 69% uh, on the season for predicting. And obviously going 500 is going to dip that down a little bit if I ever kept track and actually uh, calculated percentages, which I mean, I, I guess I probably should at some point. I've talked about putting it up on the website uh, with the old uh, Andrew B. Peterson's uh, predictions as well. Um, but let's get right into it. Let's, let's waste no time here because I'm running on very little sleep. Uh, so I feel, I feel a little drunk. I feel like I've had a couple of beers, but, uh, no, it's just, uh, severe sleep deprivation. So, uh, in the, uh, main event, we had Curtis Blades winning a five round decision over Alexander Volkov. Uh, I believe it was 49, 46 on one card and then maybe 48, 47 on the two other cards, which is absolutely ridiculous. I thought Curtis Blades won every single round of that fight. Uh, up until the fifth round, I guess you could make a case for Volkov. Um, but that was just uh, a- as dominant as you can get without it without it being a 50-45, which, again, is ridiculous that it wasn't. But, um, I, you know, I would say good fight for, for Blades. But honestly, even though it was pretty much utter domination, I don't know. I guess the negatives kind of stand out a little bit more than the positives. Uh you know, 25-minute fight, won the decision, but kind of gassed out and uh, was so gassed he couldn't do the, couldn't really do the, the post-fight interview. So, um, 
I don't know, cardio, cardio strikes me as an issue for Blades. I still think he has really good cardio, but uh, I, perhaps the bigger issue even more so than than cardio because I still think Blades probably has upper echelon cardio, for especially for the heavyweight division. But just a, a real lack of finishing ability. Uh, you know, so you go, I mean, I don't even know how many takedowns he had. Maybe a baker's dozen. And it's like, oh, that's awesome. You know, whatever you see records for takedowns being set, uh, I guess that's cool. I guess that's good because it's a record, but not really. It just kind of proves that you're really bad at keeping someone on the ground and you don't have finishing ability. You know, like you look at DC. DC just needs one takedown per round. You know, he D, DC, I don't think DC's breaking any, any records with his takedowns per minute. You know what I mean? Because he keeps you on the ground. So uh, Volkov is certainly not a wrestler. Uh, he was. He just looked like a fish out of water. He started to get a little better towards the end at defending takedowns, but Curtis Blades, just kind of the lay-and-pray mentality, which I guess is why you can't be mad when they score at 48-47. Um, but just kind of a real boring, boring fight, to be honest with you. It wasn't really that exciting. It was a, it was a little cool, especially in like the fourth and fifth round where Volkov was starting to throw some combinations, and he heard him, I want to say, late in that fourth round or maybe early in the fifth round, and... You know, what a what a comeback that would be, especially considering Volkov is the guy who got knocked out, you know, with ten seconds to go, uh, versus Derek Lewis. So he almost pulled the he almost he almost uh Derek Lewis himself uh in that fifth fifth round over Curtis Blades. But again, it it's tough, man, because you gotta stay level headed about these type of things because you go it, it still was complete domination. Blades was never really in any any trouble, but you know, you try to do that strategy against you know, a, a steep A. Uh, I don't think you'll ever have to worry about doing that to DC because I don't think that would ever happen. And, you know, he's, he's going to retire uh, in all likelihood after his fight in August. But, I mean, that's, that's um, again, it's double-edged sword, man, because you get a lot of these takedowns, but it just it just tells you you can't keep Volkov down. And obviously he dominated the, the um, control time, but I don't know, just kind of not really impressive. And, you know, we... Uh, Go over to NorthstarSports.media and we look at the uh, rankings that dropped on Monday. Uh, Curtis Blades doesn't move up. He doesn't move up with the win, even though it was over number seven Volkov. Uh, Nganu is ahead of him. Nganu has two wins over Blades, and then Cormier is the number one contender. So although Curtis Blades gets a top ten win, a top seven win, uh, he just due to the nature of the heavyweight division, he does not move up in the ranking. He's in the rankings. Although, if you want to stay positive, we can we can say he solidified his number three ranking, but he, he certainly didn't move. Uh, we did move Volkov down from seven to eight, and then uh, Overeem from eight to seven. Uh, it's tough. It's honestly it's tough to move Volkov down that much with a loss to Blades. It was kind of competitive, kind of utter dom- utter domination. But you look at the guys below Volkov. So you look at like so Volkov was at seven. Obviously, moved him to eight. You look at 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Ah, it's just all kind of blasé, man. It's not a super deep division. Heavyweight's not really that deep once you get outside of the top 10. I mean, I couldn't move him below Harris. I couldn't move him before Olenek or Sakai or uh, Shamil Abdurakimov or, or, or Blagoy Ivanov. So he just moves down one. Um, so really, it doesn't even hurt. doesn't even hurt Volkov that much. Um, you know, he's, he'll still have a big fight coming up in the future. I would probably like to see him face a guy like uh, Walt Harris. 
because uh, I don't think I don't think Volkov took a lot of damage. You look at Walt Harris. Uh, that'd be number eight versus number nine in the North Star rankings, and neither of those guys are going to take the fight to the ground. So you know you get to see them with their strengths. You know, go go pro versus pro. I mean, Volkov's obviously a striker. Harris is a knockout machine. Um, so I, I would like to see that. So big big fights on the future for Volkov, but uh, for Curtis Blades, man, I don't know. I don't know what you do. I mean. He's kind of screwed because, you know, we always talk about Francis Ngannou and how he's next in line. Well, Blades is next in line to be next in line. So, you know, we've been having a heavyweight title fight once a year for like the last three years. So, you know, say, and I don't, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be negative here. I'm just saying, you know, this is a very realistic thing. So Cormier and, and, and Stipe fight and they'll fight in August. Now, if Cormier wins, it gets tricky because if he wins, presumably he'll vacate the belt. So now we have a vacant belt. What do you what do you do there? That's a complete mess. I think it's a lot cleaner, but still kind of frustrating for Curtis Blades, although it's his own doing because he has two losses to Nganu. So we go the trilogy in, in August. Stipe is going to get hurt. Every fighter gets hurt. Stipe is going to get hurt. So Stipe is going to be out until like May of 2021. Okay, Nganu has to be next. So they fight in May of 2021. He, a Blades better hope Stipe wins. So say Stipe beats Nganu May of 2021, you're probably looking at like December of 2021, you know, uh, quarter four in, in 2021 before Curtis Blades can get a title shot. I mean, obviously crazy stuff happens, but just going logically. So if you're Blades, what do you do, man? Do you fight Derek Lewis? What do you, I don't, you take on Rosenstrike? I, I really don't know what you do. Uh, it's the same thing Ngannou's been doing. I mean, do you just take fights to stay active? You're not going to move, you're not going to move up in the rankings. You know what I mean? So it's kind of tough for him. And then listen, that's the best case scenario for Curtis Blades. Worst case scenario, uh, I mean, DC winning the belt's a pretty bad case scenario because then that there's uncertainty with the heavyweight division because... Um, it'll be a vacant belt. Now, I think, I think Stipe fights for the belt two fights from now, no matter what, because either Stipe beats DC and he's the champ and then he defends his belt or DC beats Stipe, DC, DC retires, vacant belt. Well, we have to put Stipe in there and then we put in Nganu because he's, you know, next in line. Now it gets really bad if Nganu beats Stipe. Because I don't really see any justification for a very long time for giving Curtis Blades another shot at Nganu. I don't care if Curtis Blades win th wins three fights in a row starting right now. I don't ever want to see Curtis Blades fight Francis Nganu. I mean, I guess if Blades just becomes the undeniable number one contender in like 2023. But like, dude, you got knocked out in under a minute quicker the second time against Nganu. I have no interest in that. The, the, those fights were not even close, not even competitive. For whatever you can say, you know, wrestling's the best base in mixed martial arts, no doubt. But for whatever the reason, man, Nganu has his number. I have no interest in ever seeing that fight ever again. Uh, so, you know, Blades is in a really tough spot, um, and I'm not really sure what, what he should do. I mean, can't he can't make light heavyweight, so, you know, you're stuck in this division. He's clearly one of the best fighters in the UFC, but I think at this point you just take money fights 
you know, as money as you can get with your name still being Curtis Blades and, you know, never having been a champ and not really being that big of a superstar. But, you know, I think I think you just take a fight against Derek Lewis. I think you just take another fight against Overeem or something. Like, I have no idea. But you, you just, if they offer you a main event, take a main event because, I mean, you're not, you're not really going to do anything for a long time when it comes to, you know, fighting for the belt. Uh, this leads us here. Uh, we'll, we'll wrap up the uh, the main event talker here, and we'll go to the co-main event where uh, Josh Emmett won by unanimous de- decision over uh, Shane Burgos. Uh, that was a great fight. That was a, a contender of the year uh, for, for fight of the year. That was a really, really good fight, and even more impressive, obviously, uh, knowing that Josh Emmett... I, I had his list of injuries somewhere on on uh, on my Twitter, but um, torn ACL, like he messed up his LCL or something. Uh, some bones broke. I mean, ligament damage, and he's and that was in like the first twenty seconds of the fight, and uh, you know he went on to just put a beating on him, and that's you know that was a great fight. They were just you know it was a brawl, but it was a really really technical brawl, and. Uh, I, I just had a feeling Josh Emmett would win that fight. I was not very high on Shane Burgos. Uh, I know a lot of people are, but I, I was not. I haven't really watched a whole lot of his fights, to be honest with you. Uh, but I have watched a lot of Josh Emmett's fights, and, I mean, he, he clearly outclassed him. And just just unfortunate because we... So very quickly, we'll get the rankings out of the way. So Josh Emmett moves from number 8 to number 6. Burgos moves from 10 to 11. And that man, this sucks because, again, I don't want to be negative, man, because you know Tony Ferguson came back from like a torn ACL in like six months, but Tony Ferguson's a freak. And you look, you look at Josh Emmett, man, what is he? He's like 35, 36, uh, and and he's gonna have to. It's gonna be like a year before he gets back in that octagon. Those are some very, very serious injuries. And you know, this is obviously an older fighter. He's so he's already 35. He'll, he'll probably be 36 by the next by, by the next time he steps in the octagon, and like, man, featherweight's a little different, you know. Flyweight and bantamweight, it's more pronounced, but lighter weight fighters don't age gracefully, man. It's it's really 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 hard. I mean, once you hit a certain age, I mean, and, and you lose that speed, you're done. No, I'm not saying Josh Emmett lost his speed, but he's gonna be he's gonna be coming off of a major, 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 major knee surgery, you know, and 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 rehab that could take up to a year. You know, I'm not a fucking doctor, but I mean, Jesus, he really messed up his his knee. Uh, I I hope he comes back sooner, as long as he's healthy, and you know, he's he's just outside of that top top five, and honestly, he's. I don't know, man. Nobody's really doing anything in this division, to be honest with you. I mean, it's super stacked, but I guess what I mean is there's a lot of names in this division, a lot of good young talent. But so so Holloway's fighting Volkanovski for the rematch. I think Volko is going to smoke him. But like Zabit, everybody's really high on Zabit, but when's his next fight? I don't know. When's Ortega's next fight? I don't know. When is a Korean zombie fight fighting next? I don't think he's on the books. Is Yair on the books? I don't think so. So, like, none of these guys are moving. So, when you're Josh Emmett and you have the recency bias and you're moving and, you know, if he would have beat Burgos, maybe he comes back in, like, September and, you know, say he beats uh, Brian Ortega or a Zabit or a Korean Zombie. 
you know, in my mind, he's only one fight away from fighting for the, the title. And, you know, when you talk about a, a, a soon-to-be... Uh, well, I guess he turns 36 in, in March, but, you know, realistically, the next time he steps into the octagon, he's going to be 36. You know, this is a guy who, yeah, he doesn't have a lot of a lot of miles on the on the old uh, on the old treads because he did he did start a little later in life in in the UFC. But you know his his title run has got to be expedited, man, because he's not he's not 27 years old. He doesn't have a a decade to get things done. You know if he if he would have lost this fight, I mean, again, not to be a negative Nancy, but you know that that might have crushed his his title hopes for the rest of his career, just given his age. So. Uh, it really sucks. I'm a really big fan of Josh Emmett. I honestly, he kind of remind he kind of reminds me of uh, a smaller Tyron Woodley. Like honestly, that's what it is. And I think I think Woodley's the perfect build. You know, if you could control him like Dana says, like a video game character, Tyron Woodley's the perfect fighter. And I think Josh Emmett is that perfect style. Because like I said earlier in the show, wrestling is the best base for mixed martial arts Emmett's a really good wrestler but he's got real power and I think that a lot of the best fighters that 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 you see having a lot of success uh in in the UFC it's it's with it's with solid wrestling and then you just got you just got a power behind your hands and you know that's a really unstoppable combo uh for for the most part so I'm I'm still really high on Josh Emmett I'd probably favor him in his next fight to be honest with you uh, just kind of looking at the guys ahead of him. I mean, I probably wouldn't favor him against Holloway. Uh, but like, ah, if he fights, if he fights as a beat, am I gonna automatically pick Zabit? Not automatically, man. I don't know. I don't know. I'd favor Emmett against like Ortega or the Korean Zombie. I'd certainly favor him against Yair Rodriguez. But man, that's just a real unfortunate outcome for uh, for Josh Emmett. Uh, in the Featured bout, I guess, is that is that what we call the third bout on the main card now? Uh, we had a super boring fight between uh, Raquel Pennington and Marion Renault. I didn't really watch that fight a whole lot. Uh, super boring. Uh, I guess I'll quickly get to the rankings here. That we we moved Pennington from seven to five, and Marion Renault from ten to twelve. Uh, just a unanimous decision over a 43-year-old fighter. Couldn't finish him. I have n- absolutely no desire to ever see Raquel Pennington in, in another title fight. So, again, I talked about it on the preview show. I have no idea what this fight does for Pennington. It moves her up the rankings, I guess. But there's just certain fighters that I, I have no interest, just literally no interest in ever seeing them fight in a main event or a co-main or anything like that. And Raquel Pennington just puts me to sleep when she fights. So uh, she lost three of her last four, but I guess she gets you know back on on onto her winning ways for whatever that means because she's a 500 fighter, you know, pretty much career wise. So uh, not really interested in watching uh, 500 fighters fight, and uh, not really interested in watching uh, uh, Raquel Pennington or or really Marion Renault for that matter. I mean, 43 is. You know, I don't know. I I don't know, man. Uh, but a, f- a fight that I was excited about and I, I really did care about uh, was that unanimous decision victory for Bilal Muhammad over Lyman Good. And that's tough, man, because, you know, you listen to Bilal Muhammad do interviews uh, with, um, 
Oh, not Laura Sanko, but whatever, whatever other female the UFC has for those those preview shows. You know, seems like a good guy. You listen to him to the uh, the Anakin Florian podcast. Uh, Muhammad again seems like a really nice guy and tough to root against. Lyman good considering his dad died. So, you know, that's one of those fights where you you feel good for for whoever won that fight. But um, obviously, you know, it's a it's a tough situation either way. Uh, but Muhammad. He wins that fight. He moves up into the top 15. Uh, we we rank him as number as the number 14 ranked welterweight. He takes the, the spot of Li Jing Liang. Uh, so he's one he's one spot over Robbie Lawler. Uh, which I look at a lot of rankings and I see a lot of rankings have Robbie Lawler as like the number 12 welterweight. Like I know he's fought really good talent, but guys, he hasn't had a win since UFC 214. Like. Robbie Lawler's only ranked in in North Star's rankings, just out of pure respect. Like he, Lawler doesn't even deserve to be ranked. He hasn't. He has not won in almost three years. And I get it, man. He's fought. He's fought a lot of the top guys. Like, uh, make no mistake about it. You know. But I don't. I don't know, man. You gotta. You gotta win fights to to be in the rankings, and that's something Bilal Muhammad has has really been doing in in his time with UFC. You know, we had that. Uh, he had that loss to uh, Jeff Neal. That was uh, uh, a pretty big setback. But um, you know, he's, he moves to eight and three in the UFC. Um, you know, he, he he doesn't ever fight anybody who's ranked, but he fights a lot of really solid fighters. So hopefully, he can fight somebody in that you know maybe in that top ten. Uh, you know, but Lyman Good's a, t- a tough son of a bitch. That's that's for that's for certain. And you know, this is a guy who was a former Bellator champion. Uh, but you know, Bel- Bilal Muhammad. I mean, he he was right. His number one asset is his toughness. That's that's an absolute fact. You know what I mean? And it's tough. That's a close fight. You know, I had it 29-28 for uh, Bilal Muhammad because I thought he, I thought he won those first two rounds, if I'm not mistaken. And then what was it? It was the big third round where Lyman Good was just beating the dog crap out of him uh and and listen i mean you know they they say 10 eights are supposed to be more prevalent prevalent under the the new rules i don't i do not know if the new rules the unified rules were were in effect Uh, i assume they were because it's vegas but i honestly would have no issue if if you wanted to say that was a draw and to be honest i think there should be more draws in the ufc i think you know a lot of the times you you, somebody's got to win the fight but Honestly, that's that's not always the case, and you know this this could have been. Listen again, I I really do think it was a, a unanimous decision victory for Bilal Muhammad in my mind, but if you're gonna stand on that hill and say it was a draw, I, I can't argue with you. Can't argue with you. Muhammad won those first two rounds, and then you know Lyman Good. If you want to call the third round a 10-8, I'm not arguing with you, man. So, what is it, 28-28 or whatever? So, uh, sucks. Sucks for Lyman Good because he's he's kind of been a 500 fighter these last couple of fights, but he's been fighting really really solid fighters, and you know he's getting up there in age. He's 35, but you look at he's he's you know flip flopping wins and losses, you know so a, a split decision loss to Alessio Zaleski dos Santos, a loss to Damian Maya, and then a loss to Bilal Muhammad. You know not really a consolation prize that you're that you you know. You still lost, no matter if it was a good opponent or a bad opponent. It's still a loss on your record, and you still only only get paid, you know, half your money. But you know, he's he's fighting some really uh, solid opponents. And as for Bilal Muhammad, 
I mean, the welterweight division is absolutely cracking. So, you know, there's a lot of, I know he wants to only fight up in the rankings. And listen, there's a lot of really interesting fights. Um, I mean, a Vincente Luque makes a lot of sense. You know, he's one spot ahead of him. And Neil Magny, I think Neil Magny would make a lot of sense for Bilal Muhammad. Maybe put that as a co-main event on uh, on a fight night. Um, Rafael Dos Anjos, that would be a good one. And Dos Anjos is, is in the top 10. He's rated uh, number 9 in North Star's rankings. So, I mean, a fight that's five rankings above you, a former world champion. Uh, you know, I, I think that would be an interesting interesting fight for uh, Muhammad. And, you know, obviously, Bilal Muhammad's a, a true 170-er. So, you know, fighting a guy who used to be at... Uh, at lightweight, I think that'd be a favorable matchup for Muhammad. Uh, I, d- I don't know if I'd favor him because, uh, you know, Desanos has... I mean, find me a guy outside of John Jones who's had a tougher schedule than Rafael Desanos. I mean, it doesn't exist, man. You know, RDA is an absolute monster. And, you know, don't, don't get down on him just because he's been losing some fights because he's he never has an easy fight. He never has an easy fight. Um, but again, going back, solid win for uh, Bilal Muhammad. Uh, on the main card, uh, the, the, the main card opener, excuse me, uh, we had Jim Miller with a uh, armbar submission over Roosevelt Roberts. Uh, we'll go through this one quickly because I did not see it live. I did not see the fight live. Um, but props to Jim Miller. I mean, he's, he's right up there with, uh, with uh, you know, wins and total fights in the UFC. So this is a guy not to, not to mess with. And, you know, you can't fault Roosevelt Roberts for wanting to make the short notice. Uh, turnaround because you know a win over Jim Miller I mean I'm not saying your next fight would be a ranked opponent but I mean Jim Miller is a real litmus test I'm not going to say uh you know uh uh a gatekeeper I'm not going to say a gatekeeper but a real litmus test for uh you know a young fighter and and Roberts looks so good in that fight with Weaver you know he's a real problem at 155 you know, just lanky, super, super lanky, super lean, really quick hands. Surprising power, to be honest with you. I don't know if it's just hand speed and accuracy, but he, I guess he's got some power as well. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It, it, it's a really good win for Jim Miller because obviously, you know, he was losing more fights than he was winning. But, uh, you know, it's tough to know what to what to make of Jim Miller. I mean, this was, this was a guy who, uh, you know, lost six of his last nine. Uh, but the, the three wins he had were all first round finishes and, you know, another first round finish here. And, you know, this is a guy, maybe he truly is over Lyme's disease. I mean, I've never had it, but apparently that's some serious stuff. And, you know, uh, if, if that really did affect him, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe this is a guy who kind of like a Cerrone could, you know, at an advanced age, kind of make a little bit of a little bit of a stink and a little bit of a, a mess in the division. And, you know, if he comes out and, you know, apparently I, I, I thought I read something on Twitter where he wants to have a short notice 170 fight on, on Fight Island. So, you know, listen, I mean, if he stays active, he's, you know, even with Lyme's disease, he's stayed very active his entire career. So, uh, you know, props to props to uh, Jim A-10 Miller for that victory. Um, going down here to the prelims again, uh, I took a little break. I think I was playing Left 4 Dead 2 or something. Uh, I was doing something. I might have been hanging with that boy, Drew Peterson. I, I really don't remember. Uh, I, I have uh, probably been awake since Saturday, so my memory is uh, you know, a little 
a little tricky right now. But I, I did, I definitely didn't watch Clay Guida and Bobby Green. I didn't really have a whole lot of interest in this fight, to be honest with you. They're both fighters who, you know, lose four times as many fights as they win these days. And, you know, Clay Guida drops to 35 and 20. I mean, that's a, that's a, a record a Bellator fighter would have. I mean, I thought it was a little interesting. They were supposed to fight before, and, and the, the face-off was interesting where, what is it, uh, Clay Guido is like, oh, I'm, I'm surprised you made it, honey. I mean, that's that's funny, but, you know, whatever. Good for Bobby Green. I have no, I, I have no idea what a win over Clay Guido means for your career, uh, and I have no idea what a, a loss to Bobby Green means for your career other than you probably should retire and, and uh, you know, not fight in the UFC, but... You know, he's a Hall of Fame fighter for his one fight with, what is it, Diego Sanchez. Uh, but, yeah, the, I mean, you look at um, you look at Clay Guida's tapology. I mean, there's a, you look at his record, there's a lot of red. There's a lot of red over these last couple of years. So, I mean, it, it's, it's probably a guy who should hang it up at this point. But, you know, I, I don't give a shit. Do whatever you want. It's not my body. Um we also had also had Tisha Torres saving uh, her spot in the North Star rankings. Somehow, somehow Tisha Torres, who was on a four-fight losing streak and who last won in 2017, she was still ranked 14 in uh, North Star Sports rankings. So that's that's impressive. That just speaks to how uh, awful the strawweight division is when it comes to the depth of the division. Uh, but she wins this fight. Uh, we moved her from 14 to 13. Uh, she trades spots with Angela Hill. And, uh, you know, honestly, that's a really solid victory for Tisha Torres. I didn't watch it because I don't really watch a whole lot of the lighter weight female fights because they just always go to decisions and, and typically are, you know, I, I, well, women's straw weight for sure has the lowest knockout rates of any, of any division. So I, I, I tend to, if I'm going to like take a shower or, or if I'm going to make a meal or something, it's definitely going to be during a women's strawweight fight. That's just an absolute fact. Um, but good, good for Torres. I didn't, I did not watch a second of that fight. But uh, Van Buren, I mean, it was an Invicta champion, so that's that's impressive. Uh, she was on a four-fight winning streak, really dominant in Invicta. And you know, you look at. Um, you know, the, the World Series of Fighting for a long time, from like 20, 2008 to maybe 2014, was a, a just a feeder league for, it was basically the minor leagues for the UFC. Uh, now you kind of have, uh, is it LFA or RFA? I don't know what they go by these days, but uh, I think it's LFA. So now you got like LFA and stuff like that as like the feeder division for uh the UFC but on the women's side of it Invicta's really really been the minor leagues uh for the UFC so you know when you see somebody having uh, a lot of success and certainly winning a championship in Invicta you know that definitely puts that fighter on your on your radar now Brianna Van Buren probably should be an atom weight fighter because she's five foot flat um but again, uh, that was a tailor-made matchup for Van Buren to win. You know, Torres is a little bit of a name in that division on one hell of a losing streak, and uh, that was the shortest fight in UFC history. The combined uh, heights of those two fighters, excuse me, was the uh, the shortest it's ever been in the UFC because uh, I think those those two, it's it's number one and number two for uh, shortest fighters ever. Um so I, I solid for Tisha Torres. 
Uh, I also did not watch Marc-Andre Barrio and Oscar Pihota. Just being honest with you guys, I'd never lie to the listeners. Uh, I had no interest in this fight. Marc-Andre Barrio was on a three-fight losing streak. Oscar Pihota was on a three-fight losing streak. Now Pihota's on a four-fight losing streak uh, and messing up my prediction records because I picked Oscar to win this fight. Both of them should be cut. They're both incredibly boring fighters who cannot beat even the lowest levels of UFC competition. So I would cut both of them, to be honest with you. Um, But I don't make those decisions. They are well over my pay grade. And uh, thank God I didn't watch that fight because I have no interest in watching severely losing fighters, you know, try to uh, somebody's always got to go. Somebody's got to win a fight here. So, you know, I guess props to the Canadian, but I'd, yeah, no interest. Uh, a, a much more interesting fight here was at uh, flyweight here, women's flyweight. Even money fight number 12 ranked Courtney Casey and Jillian Robertson. Uh, Jillian Robertson won this fight. Oh, what was it? By uh, rear naked choke in the third round, only 28 seconds to go in the fight. And uh, a, a very big win for Jillian Robertson because, it, you know, you're fighting number 12, and I think we put her at number 12 in North Star's rankings. I can pull that up real quick. Yep, we did. She was one of the biggest movers uh, in in uh, from from the uh, the fight card on Saturday. And that's that's a big one. That's a big one, you know. From unranked all the way to number twelve, it really matters when you when you take on a ranked opponents. And Courtney Casey's really tough. She's she's pretty good on the feet, but good God, Courtney Casey ha- has no idea what's going on on the ground. You could tell she got really frustrated in that third round. And I think I think it could have gone to a decision. I think Courtney Casey just was so pissed off with her corner. You know, once Robertson got the the arm under her neck, she tapped out immediately. I think. I don't know. I think she. I think Courtney Casey just kind of threw a temper tantrum, to be honest with you. Um, but holy smokes, she needs to go to TriStar or something and, and work on uh, you know her ground game because yeah, you're not gonna win. Well, obviously she's a nine and eight fighter, so again, you know, loses just as many as she wins. But um, yeah, just just really like a fish out of water uh, when it comes to the ground game and. You know, Robertson's really talented. I was really high on her. Uh, I, I didn't really think it was fair to match her up against Macy Barber, uh, but that was her last fight before this. But, uh, you know, she's got a surprising amount of victory. She might have the most victories at 125 in the UFC. I know she did about a year ago, um, but, you know, what is it? She's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, five and 2 in the UFC. That's really impressive, especially, you know, for such a young fighter, 24 years old and you know, been in the UFC for a hot minute, almost, uh, almost, oh man, almost three years, almost three years. So really growing up in the UFC and that's a hard thing to do. You know, I understand it's a new division and it's a, uh, the weakest division outside of men's flyweight, which is an absolute joke. Um, but man, you know, you look at, I always mention it, but you look at fighters who grow up in the octagon, doesn't turn out good, man, really doesn't turn out good. Look, look at how growing up in the octagon turned out for Mickey Gall. You know, learned, look how that turned out for Sage Northcutt. It, it really doesn't work out for a lot of fighters. Um, no idea where Courtney Casey goes from here, but Jillian Robertson, I mean, she might she might take over for Macy Barber. You know, Macy Barber had, had that massive hype train and then tore her ACL and lost to uh, 
Roxanne Modafferi, but Jillian Robertson's healthy. She, she's looked very, very good in her last couple of fights. And uh, I don't know, man. If she wants to stay active, I think I think a fight in the top 10 is, is probably what's next for Jillian Robertson. And, uh, you know, just looking at the North Star rankings here, I don't know, man. I'm really, I'm really pinpointing Andrea Lee at number 10. I think Andrea Lee would be the perfect fight for Robertson. You know, someone who I think has been on the wrong end of a couple of split decisions. So kind of a, a sneaky, low-key, uh, solid number 10. Um, maybe a Viviani, a Rougeau, maybe that's a little bit too much for, for Robertson. But, man, I, I would really like to see Robertson take on Andrea Lee. And then if she wins, she's in the top 10, albeit number 10. But, you know, I, I think I think they potentially could have something really special with Robertson. And, you know, I'm... I'm not trying to be too hyperbolic, but, you know, hey, Barber's very young. Robertson's very young. If they ever rematch in the future, I don't know, man. I think Robertson, I think Robertson does, well, certainly does better than the first time they fought. But, you know, it, it, the, the result might be drastically different the next time Robertson takes on Barber, which I think, you know, that they're, they're just going to be in this division for a really long time. So I think at some point, maybe we can pencil that in. Um... Moving on here on the prelims, Justin Janes knocked out Frank Camacho. Uh, 41 seconds into the first round. Good for him. Uh, I picked Camacho to win this one because I had no idea who Justin Janes was. But, I mean, not not that Justin Janes was a super, super big underdog. It's not like it was a comma-worthy Devontae Smith type thing. But listen, you know, there's winning your UFC debut. I mean, look, there's so many good fighters who lose their UFC debut. And so just to win your UFC debut, it doesn't matter who it's against, just to win your UFC debut is very impressive. But listen, you want to be remembered. You you, you want to get the boss's attention. Knock out, you know, knock out anybody. Knock out your, your opponent in your UFC debut in under a minute. Listen, I don't. It doesn't look like he took any damage. Yeah, that cut on his forehead. But uh, you know, if he wants to make a quick turnaround, you know, he. Uh, I believe he said in his interview, you know, he was willing to fight. He was willing to fight at 155, 170, or 185. So if he's a game guy, you know, uh, he he can move up real fast. Um, you know, only 30 years old. I mean, 20 fights in. So I'd say he's a he's a veteran of the sport. He's a veteran of the sport, but. Uh, Never fought in any any promotions I've ever heard of outside of Bellator, um, but you know, good for him. I, now I don't I don't think Frank Camacho is that good of a fighter, um, and and I'd probably cut Frank Camacho at this point. But uh, you know, just just to have that type of performance uh, really really says a lot. Uh, the last fight with uh, major implications was the second fight here on the prelims: Lauren Murphy taking on Roxanne Modafferi, and Lauren Murphy dominates this fight. Utter domination. Um, wins by unanimous decision. And she she moved up a lot. So th- this was uh, number seven versus number six, with Murphy being the seven. And she, she was the biggest riser of anybody on this fight card, uh, according to North Star Sports. We moved her from seven all the way to three. Uh, so she she jumped over Mataferi, Calderwood, I, and Maya. So Shevchenko's the champ, Chukagian's number one contender, Calvillo's number two, and then Lauren Murphy's number three. So 
I mean, her next her next fight, I don't really see how it couldn't be higher up in the rankings. And, uh, you know, you look at, you know, Jennifer Maya. I mean, that's the thing. So the flyweight division has really been changing its rankings uh, very quickly these days. Really over the last three events, we've seen a lot of change in this division. And that's because it's a really new division. Nobody's really that established. So that's why you see a lot of change on any given fight. Um, so, I mean, if you, if you win your fight and, you know, you're going to see yourself uh, take a, a pretty big jump uh, or, a, or a pretty big dive uh, in this division. And, you know, I has lost two of her last three. Calderwood has some weird losses. You know, she beat Mataferi. Jennifer Maya doesn't really have too many great, great victories. So Murphy is number three. And listen, you know, I, I think Calvillo or Chukagian would make a lot of sense. You know, both of those fighters want to, uh, you know, stay active. Now, I think Chukagian versus Calvillo is the fight to make. But if that can't happen for some reason... Listen, throw in Lauren Murphy. Uh, I think Lauren Murphy would get absolutely smoked by Shevchenko. But listen, if you're high in the rankings, you got to have high-profile fights. So whether or not Lauren Murphy would would be, you know, ranked number three in a deeper division or whether she deserves to be number three, listen, somebody's got to be number three in these divisions. Somebody has to fill every spot. So uh, a big win for her. And we only move Botafari down one spot because... Uh, you look at the fighters directly below her, they have done nothing on the level of Mataferi. So, Arujao is number eight. I think she only has one win in the UFC, so I can't move Mataferi below her. Uh, Macy Barber lost to Mataferi, so I certainly can't move Mataferi lower than Barber. Um, but, you know, a whole lot of, I think, uh, what is it? Four, five, nine of the spots, nine of the 15 fighters in the flyweight division shifted because of this this fight alone so or excuse me because of the two fights uh the two ranked fights um in the flyweight division so you know props to props to lauren murphy although yeah in her next fight man who knows and then this leads us to uh the prelim opener which perhaps is the biggest talker uh from this fight card austin hubbard uh, knocked out via retirement, Max Roshkoff at the end of the second round. And everybody's got a lot of strong opinions on this. And I got to tell you, North Star Sports delivers when it comes to the hot sports take. And uh, um, Robert Drysdale, the head coach of Max Roshkoff, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, I don't think he did anything wrong. I don't think he did, he did anything wrong. Uh, listen, you know, Roshkoff told him nine times he didn't want to fight. But listen, everybody's getting mad at Robert Drysdale. But did Roshkoff go out there and fight in the third round? No. So what is there to get mad about? Oh my God, he was going to let Roshkoff, he was going to let Max go out there and fight. Max said he didn't want to fight. Yeah, did he fight from that point on? Nope, he didn't. So for all you nerds getting mad out there at Drysdale, why? Why? Like, he, he, he didn't go out there and take a beating. In the third round, so what do, you, what do you guys want? You got what you wanted. He didn't want to fight, and he didn't. So really, it's a non-talker for me because, you know. Now, if Roshkoff went out there and got Thomas Gifford, Thomas Gifforded, uh, yeah, yeah, then it's a talker. Then we can talk about it. But he didn't take, from the time Max Roshkoff said he didn't want to fight, he, he did not get punched one more time. 
So what what are you sweaty nerds getting mad about? Um, I I didn't think Austin Hubbard was that good, but apparently uh, uh, it was it was just target practice for Hubbard in in the second round versus Roshkoff. Um, I don't know, man. I I I I feel some type of way. I feel weird about Max Roshkoff to be honest with you because he you know he was an ACC uh, wrestling champion. Uh, he's an ADCC grappler. He's really, really talented. He really is. You saw that in the first round of, of the fight. Man, that was a really good first round. That was really good. Uh, you know, obviously Hubbard stood up a couple of times when he was on the ground, but he was doing Imanari rolls. He was doing all this. He, he, what is it? He had him in the, in the clinch and he head kicked him or whatever, where he, he caught his foot and then like head kicked, tried to step over his head. So Roshkoff has the talent. I Now, five, now, listen. This is not boxing, so if you come into the UFC, you better be ready to fight. So, for anybody who says, "Oh, five and zero versus f- five fights versus fifteen fights," yeah, that's a big discrepancy. I probably wouldn't have debuted him against Hubbard, but like, well, who do you want Roshkoff to make his UFC debut against a, another five and zero fighter? They don't really exist. You know what I mean? So, if you come to the UFC, you better be ready to fight. And I understand it was short notice. Um. But I don't know, man. Anybody who doesn't have the heart, man, I, I, I that's a huge red flag. You know, you hear from his, from people that uh, he gets frustrated a lot in practice. And, man, he got frustrated in that second round. And I don't know, man. I mean, whatever. I, I'm See, I'm not allowed to have an opinion because I'm not a fighter. So, you know, for certain people, no matter what I say, they're going to get mad at me. But I, I don't care. But listen... That's a really bad sign that Roshkov quit that fight. That's a really bad sign because I don't think the second round was a 10-8. I don't think it was a 10-8. So in my mind, it's one round apiece. So it's a 50-50 chance Max wins that fight in the third round. And he saw those odds of 50-50 and and said, Nah, those odds aren't good enough for me. I'm going to quit. Now, I want to preface this by saying you can quit at any time. You 10 seconds into the fight, you could just tap the ground and quit. That's fine. You have you I believe you totally have the right to quit at any time because you're fighting in a cage. It's dangerous, man. I'm not a cage fighter. Props to you, man. You you deserve to have the right to quit at any time. I'm not being facetious or being some type of way about that. You can quit at any time. So I'm not saying I have a problem with him quitting. That's 100% his right. 100% is right. I'm just saying I can have an opinion. I can have an opinion about you quitting. I can say that that's not a good sign, but it's one hundred percent. You're right for sure. That w- that was totally. And listen, to to some degree, I understand it. Why why are you gonna sit there and take a beating? Live to fight another day. Live to fight another. But it's just the way he, the way he did it. Like he got frustrated. He could have won that fight. He could have won that fight. It's see, and and, and this is a thing. Again, I just want to make it very clear. It's his right that he can quit that fight. But I, I have the right to have an opinion about it. And he, he, I don't want to say dominated, but he handedly won that first round. And he handedly lost the second round. So, third round, what should you do? Listen to Drysdale. Take him down. And I don't have a problem with, again, I don't have a problem with Drysdale trying to convince him. So in my mind, Drysdale has 60 seconds to convince Roshkoff to, to get back in the fight. I think, and, and listen, he did. He didn't let him fight. 
I think if if the 60 seconds were up, I don't think Drysdale would have let him fight, but I think Drysdale has the right to have those 60 seconds to try to convince him. And listen, Max didn't take a beating. He did not take a beating. Easy for me to say, but listen, we've seen people take 10 times worse beatings in winning efforts. We've seen people take, I mean, the average fight, the, the average fight in the UFC, the fighter has more damage than, than what Max took in that fight. Max took very little damage. Now, again, it's his right. He's the one taking the punches. It's definitely his right to quit. But good God, man, like, I don't know, man. If you're just qu- if you're quitting because you're frustrated that things aren't going your way in a 50-50 fight where if you just win that third round, you win the fight. If someone says 50-50 is not good enough odds and it's by your own doing, man, I just can never get behind you, man. I just can never... If you don't have that mentality, I just I just can't get behind you. So, I don't know. It, it it's it's tough, man, because he he's talented, but I don't I don't know. It's it's tough. It's tough. And 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 for anybody who says it's it's simple or it's you know it's whatever. It's if if he doesn't want to fight, he doesn't have to fight. And you know all this. It's not simple. It's a case by case basis. So this this is not like a Thomas Gifford situation. This is not like a Pennington Nunez situation. Each situation is different. And, and I don't really see anything wrong with, with, with this decision. Uh, it ultimately turned out in, in Max's favor because he didn't go out there. But listen, Max got punched in the head a few times in that, in that second round because he was flat footed and stood there. He, he wasn't moving. So what do you, I mean, what do you, what do you want? Move out of the way. You know, like you know what I mean. I'm not trying to be a dick here, but you go back and watch that second round. It's 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 target practice for Austin Hubbard, and why is it target practice? Because Max just stood there. It so here's the thing. Again, it's it for the 90th time. It's his right to quit. But if Max took a beating and he was moving out of the way and he was really on his bike and he was backpedaling and moving out of the way and he still took a beating, I'd go, all right, fair enough. You tried everything. But Max did not try everything. He didn't try everything because he stood there. He stood there and just willingly got punched in the head. He didn't move out of the way. He was flat-footed. And then he just said, meh, I don't really want to fight. Well, okay, did you try moving out of the way? Did you try Did you try circling out of the way? Like, I, I, again, I don't mean to be a dick, and I don't mean to oversimplify things, but you, he literally just stood there for a lot of those punches to the head and just tried to fix his hair and tried to look good on TV can you try moving out of the way? And again, if you still if you're still getting beat when you're trying to move out of the way and doing everything and keeping your hands up, all right, man, fair enough. But that's that's a tough one. But nobody's gonna say that because everybody's always always on the fighter side. Uh, but I don't know, man. I don't know, man. Something to consider. But again, totally his right. But I wouldn't. I don't want. Like if I was Dana and I saw that, yeah, you're not in the UFC. He, he, he's a UFC caliber fighter. He's very talented. He's 5-0. and He needs more seasoning anyway. So I would just say, thank you. Thank you for the fight. Thanks for taking it short notice. But get get three or four more wins out of the UFC, and then maybe we'll, maybe we'll see about bringing you back. But he is absolutely uh, not ready for the UFC at this point in time, which is totally fine because he's a very young fighter. And, again, I still think he has a very bright future if he can, you know, get over that mental frustration and, and you know, uh, not not get frustrated when everything literally doesn't go your way. Uh, he could be a very good fighter. He re- he really could be. He really does have all the talent in the world. And again, wrestling's the best base. 
He's just got to work on some things. He's got to keep his hands up. He can't stand there and willingly get punched in the head. And Again, I honestly, I know, the, I know the momentum was on Hubbard's side because he won the second round. I don't know, man. Max totally could have won that third round. Honestly, if he just goes out there and tries to do what he does in the, in the first round, obviously his cardio is fading a little bit, but take him down, hit him with an Imanari roll. You know, he's, he's walking you down. You're just standing there, you know, getting punched in the head. Just, just throw an Imanari roll because he, you know, he wasn't really respecting your, your, your range. So, you know, when, when he, when he started throwing body punches and, and Roshkoff just stood there and did nothing, I think that was really when you could see the end was, the end was nigh. Cause when he just throws through a couple of body punches and Roshkoff didn't react at all. I mean, that's really when you knew that, uh, you know, target practice was on. Uh, but that's pretty much all I got to say on that. Um tough situation. Uh, so with that, uh, we'll have a show tomorrow. Uh, that's going to be a UFC, uh, fight night. What is it? Uh, hooker, hooker and Poirier. So we'll preview that fight card. That one looks really, really good. Um, and luckily we're doing it later in the week. We're doing it on Thursday. Normally the preview shows are on Tuesday. So this helps because we always do the preview shows on Tuesday and then fighters fall out of the fight. And then, you know, we never get to talk about it. So I think there's a sweet spot somewhere in between. Maybe Wednesday is really the day we should be doing the preview shows. But, uh, yeah, we'll do the preview show. And then uh, next next or this Friday, a couple of days from now, uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll have uh, maybe we'll have Pistol Peterson on the show. Uh, or maybe it'll be Saturday. But uh, we'll, we'll figure out something Friday and Saturday. Probably do a show on one of those days. Maybe uh, maybe we'll do an, uh, an NFL talker. Maybe we'll talk about baseball reluctantly because baseball is for nerds it's a boring sport but uh you know it is it is something big it's something you got to talk about so uh we'll, we'll figure it out but for sure we're doing the preview show uh tomorrow so uh once again you can follow me on twitter at owen ely mn follow north star sports on twitter at north star min again we're everywhere man shout out to pod mn where you can find a bunch of local minnesota podcasts Shout out to Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Android Podcast, fucking Tin Can Podcast, some homeless guy on the street. I don't know. We're every every single platform we're on. So just look at any platform. We're probably on it. Specifically, check out NorthStarSports.media. And thanks for tuning in, everybody.